Praise the Lord. And thank you for joining us for our Wednesday night Bible study. I want to say how much I appreciate the fact uh, of how faithful you have been to tune in to the services we've been having over the last couple of weeks. Certainly this is not our preferred method of having church, but I am thankful that we have this opportunity to, to be able to spread the gospel and to be able to teach the word of the Lord. For in it, we find the truths that, that help us and strengthen us day by day. For the last several weeks before all this began, we were doing a series through the book of Colossians. And so tonight, we're going to be turning our attention back there. We're going to begin in the third chapter, and we'll be beginning with verse number five in just a few moments. I'm thankful for the Word of God, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to take it verse by verse and just to unveil some of the truths of God's Word. I don't want to gloss over the Scripture and miss something that may be pertinent to where I am right now in my life. And so I pray that the Word of the Lord will touch your heart and strengthen all of us together as we consider the wonderful treasures that are in the Word of God. There's an adage that says clothes make the difference. They certainly can make the difference of how others perceive us or even accept us in some cases. It even at times makes a difference in how we feel about ourselves. Clothes can make a statement as to how we honor certain things. Interestingly, former President Ronald Reagan, it is said, never removed his jacket ever while he was in the Oval Office for the entire eight years that he served as a United States President. When asked why, he simply replied that he did so out of respect to the dignity of the office. I'm thankful for what, it, for what the Word of God teaches us about how we can clothe our heart, not just our bodies, but how we can clothe our heart and our mind. And that's what we're going to be considering here this evening. In our text, the Apostle Paul uses the idea of dress to emphasize how we are to live every day as Christians. He reminds us that, that there are just certain things that don't go together. If we're going to be successful in living a Christian life, then we need to know what to take off and certainly what to put on. There are some things that we must put off. And there are some things that if we're going to call ourselves a child of God, there are some things that we've got to remove from our life. And, and when we do so, we, we show the world what we really believe by how we behave. As we model our Christian attitude and certainly as we model our actions. And so for this to have a maximum impact, certain attitudes and certain actions must be put off and others must be put on. So this evening, for just a few moments, I want to talk about a church that the world can see. And I believe if there was ever a moment that that statement is relative, it is certainly relative in the hour in which we live. The world needs a church they can see. I, I know that... Um, when we are born again, there are some things that shed away from our lives. I'm thankful for the power of repentance, according to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. How we can repent of our sins and be water baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of, of those sins. And then how we have the promise of the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the things that are removed in that process of repentance and the things that are washed away in the process of water baptism. I'm thankful that because the vessel has been cleansed, cleansed, that the Spirit of God can now fill that vessel. I'm thankful that the old has been replaced by the new. And the old 
when it seeks to assert itself, it must be it must be dealt with in a decisive fashion. Paul tells us there's some things that that must be put to death. It sounds like a strong word, but there are some things we must be very decisive about. I've often said if you have a a dripping faucet, well, you might can leave that for a little while to a day that you have time to get around to that. But if you've got a leaking roof, now that's another story. And that has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with decisively. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is approaching here today. In other words, there are things that are so dangerous to our current walk with God that they must be destroyed. They must be dealt with. In Colossians 3 and 5, Paul names several things that must be destroyed. The primary appeal here is for us to act as though we are new people. We should live a life that, that, uh, that matches what happened to us when we were born again. If we died to sin, then that truth should be evidenced by how we live our life each and every day. We should be the church that the world can see. Verse number 5 lists several specific things that we must destroy. In effect, he lists uh, several things that covers evil desires and attitudes. He talks about fornication and uncleanness and, and inordinate affection and, and uh, evil desires. And he talks about even covetousness or the spirit of greed. You see, greed is a form of idolatry because it makes a God of things like material possessions. The problem with greed is that greed is very consuming. It's interesting in our text that greed is equated with idolatry. When anything takes the place of God, that becomes idolatry. God doesn't want us to simply place in our life. He doesn't want just simply a place in our lives. God wants first place in our life. He doesn't want to be just a priority. God wants to be the priority in our life. We must make Him Lord of all if He's going to be Lord at all. In verse number 6, Paul continues. He talks about the wrath of God coming upon people because of their sin. Because you see, God's hatred of sin is, is so evident in His Scripture. The Bible talks about Job, a man who loved God, but he eschewed evil or he hated evil. God's hatred of sin is a necessary part of His love for humanity because God sees the damage that sin causes and, and how that sin perverts and even destroys the human race. In verse number 7, Paul reminds us that we all once walked in these sins when we lived in them. And then in verse number 8, uh, in addition to the sins that were listed in verse number 5, Paul lists five attitudes that must be put away. And so Paul deals with the attitude of anger. Now, when we think about anger, anger is an, an, an instinctive reaction to wrong or to wrongdoing. And anger in and of itself is, is not wrong. However, it, anger can make a person very susceptible to sin because anger can lead to other things like revenge or bitterness or even hatred. Anger can lead us to say, things that we would have never said otherwise or to think things that we would have never thought otherwise. In his writings to the Ephesian church, this same author, the Apostle Paul, says that we should be angry and sin not. He goes on to be very specific to say, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath and neither give place to the devil. You see, even when anger is justifiable, 
We cannot allow that anger to lead us to sin. He goes on to mention other attitudes. He talks about wrath in this context, which is rage and a, a passionate outburst, or to be violent, or anger, or to be quick-tempered. That's something we all can relate to in our flesh. He talks about malice, a desire to do harm to others, or blasphemy, a slandering against God, or filthy communication, which is abusive language. So we must specifically avoid these attitudes if we're going to be a church that the world can see. We have to specifically and intentionally distance ourselves from these attitudes. In verse number 9, Paul mentions the sin of the tongue and oh, how we're guilty of this sin of the tongue. James talks about this unruly member and I think all of us can relate to situations that we have said things that in that very moment we wish somehow we could retract them, but they're forever said. We can't take them back. The hearers have forever heard those words. And so we have to be very, very careful when it comes to what our tongue can do. The Bible talks about here in verse number 9 about lying. I want to just say today that I believe a true born-again child of God just does not lie. They're just the, they, they are tellers of the truth. They understand the value of truth. They even understand the double-edged sword that truth can be. The, the psalmist David said in Psalms 15 and 4, he speaks of swearing to your own hurt. We understand that truth can be painful, but it's something that we must be committed to, even when it hurts. And we have been called on to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And, and in those moments, it's not always comfortable, not always easy, but we must avoid the sin of lying. Paul mentions seeing what ye have, that you have put off the old man, he says, with his deeds. We put off the old man or that old person that we used to be. And while it's true that we still fight the flesh and we still fight our sinful nature, just because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that our old nature has completely in a moment of time just been eradicated. However, I can tell you this, that the more we turn toward God, the more we are given the power to overcome our sinful nature and the more like Him we really become. Next, Paul speaks about the things that we can put on in verse number 10. Not only have we put off the old man, but now we're admonished to put on the new man. The new man is the person that we are now after we have received His Spirit. Not only were we born again, but we are content to continually renew ourselves daily. This process is a process that the Scripture refers to as sanctification. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, he describes it this way. He said, Though our outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. This renewal in large part begins in our mind. Romans 12 and 2 speaks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Through the new birth, God recreates in us this spiritual image. He fashions us progressively, daily, into His perfect likeness. I have been told on many of on many occasions that I have several characteristics of my mother, my natural mother, and my natural father. 
Uh, just to name a couple of them, I was told recently that my eyes resemble my mother. I've also been told countless times that, that my hands resemble my father. Now, I'm not the least bit ashamed of that because I'm their son. And so I ought to bear a resemblance of those that gave me life. Amen. And so day by day, I believe that as children of God and as a whole, the body of Christ, we should look more and more like the Lord. To the Corinthian church, Paul said, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. In the 11th verse, Paul addresses the fact that there should be no discrimination in the church. Everyone has and should have equal standing and, and everyone has and should have the same and equal privileges in the sight of God. The Lord has torn down and eradicated all those barriers that humanity would set up to separate us. The Bible says in the book of James that if we have respect to persons, we commit sin. There's no need to, to look at a commentary about what James is trying to say here, that if we have respect unto people, then we commit sins. So we have to overcome the human tendency to denounce people that are different from us. Apparently, uh, in Colossians 3 and 11, this, this particular passage was written more specifically to address certain problems that were in the church at Colossae. It seems that the Colossian church considered themselves to be somewhat the spiritual elite. However, we should never forget that when we come to the foot of the cross, we are all standing on level ground. When we stand at an altar of repentance, there's no big eyes and little U's right there. We all need the hand and the power of God at work in us. He talks about the putting on of this new man. In verse, number, in verse number 12, he tells us to put on or to clothe ourselves with godly attributes. We have the responsibility to daily pursue and to daily perfect holiness in our lives. The verse specifically lists five characteristics of the new life that we should adopt. And so Paul begins to mention things. Some of this language is not something we can relate to all together in, in the 21st century. For example, Paul uses the phrase, the bowels of mercy. And, and that really means compassion. The bowels of mercy, that is the, a phrase for the seed of our emotions. In, in today's vernacular, we would, use the, we would pro probably use a reference to the heart. But Paul, Paul talks about that we should have compassion. Another thing he mentions is kindness or goodness. He mentions humility and meekness, or another word for meekness is gentleness. And then he talks about long-suffering or patience. In verse number 13, Paul continues to this description of Christian character. He's admonishing us to forbear one another. Again, another one of those words that we don't use every day, but to forbear one another just simply means to be patient and to be kind. In, in the hour in which we live, most certainly, there is a feeling of anxiety when you are forced to go to certain places to buy groceries or to pick up a few things. You can just feel the atmosphere of people's nerves that are on edge. And, and while that can be found in some areas, I'm also thankful for the kindness that people are showing and, and the respect for others that people are showing. To forbear means to be patient and kind. And, and we should be compassionate. And we should certainly be compassionate and 
and long-suffering when it comes to, to the, the faults and the shortcomings of other people. You see, sadly, sadly, when sometimes, or sometimes when people fail, there is a tendency in the heart of some people to kind of pile on. When something is going on, others just kind of want to weigh in on that situation. Have you ever seen a football game where the man running the ball has been tackled and then other members of the opposing team just keep stacking up? It, when I see that, it just kind of makes me wonder about the character that those last few men had. I mean, why would you just keep piling on? He's, the man is clearly down. The ball is no longer moving forward. The threat has ended. So why would you try to pile on why would you try to pile on? What's the point? There's a scripture that comes to my mind that we should never forget when someone around us fails. And that scripture is 2 Corinthians 2 and 7. Paul says that we should respond to this crisis or to this individual through the power and the spirit of forgiveness. And then he even talks about that we should comfort that person. We should do so Paul is being very intentional about his words. These are not arbitrary words that he's just throwing out. Paul is going somewhere with this thought when he talks about forgiving that person and comforting that person. He said we should do so in order to prevent something else very significant from happening. The scripture says, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. What a curious an interesting use, use of words. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. I want to go back to my football illustration and, and tell you that when you have the desire to pile on someone that has already fallen, we should consider the person at the bottom of that pile. You may think what you're adding to that is not a big deal, but I would imagine the person on the bottom of that pile has a completely different take on that. They already perhaps feel the crushing weight of their own failure. And most likely, they don't need the weight of an, an additional opinion or, or somebody else to just weigh in on that. We should comfort them and we should lift them up and restore them. Rather, we should consider the words of Galatians 6 and 1. This is the only scripture in the Word of God where people that are spiritual are underlined and called out. In Galatians 6 and 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What Paul is trying to remind us is this could be you. And so we need to restore them in the same manner that we would want to be restored in. So as I bring this to this close to a close this evening, I, I want us to understand just a couple of things. If we too are to adopt the attitude of Christ, then we must continue to love those that hurt us, love to continue to love those that mistreat us. We've got to be willing to forgive them whether they seek forgiveness or not. We've also got to be willing to suffer at times because of their actions. Although those that have done wrong have a personal responsibility to, re to rectify that wrong, we should have the, the attitude that, uh, that, uh, that until they do that, we're not moving forward. But we should have the attitude of this, that regardless whether or not they repent, I'm not going to become bitter. 
I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to receive. I'm not going to seek revenge. But I'm just going to put that in the hands of the Lord, because you see, God has called us to be the church that the world can see. I got to maintain a loving attitude toward others, and that's not going to be done because we're superhuman. That's only going to be accomplished through prayer and by the grace of God. In verse number 14, Paul reminds us of one central truth that above all these virtues that are listed in these verses, we are to clothe ourselves daily with charity. Another word for charity is love. And the word love here is agape love or unconditional love. Irrespective, I'm going to give myself because I must be the church that the world can see. Without love, a Christian is not fully clothed. And so what a tremendous opportunity sits before all of us here today because we've been given a privilege in this hour, this very hour, to be the church that the world can see. I'm thankful for the privilege to be a part of the church today. And while we're living in an uncertain hour, we're serving a certain God. And He understands where we are and we're not here by accident. God has His hand upon us and He's going to continue to keep His hand upon us. I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have been given again tonight to sit down and let the Word of God be the center of our thoughts. Let it be the center of our home. I say it a lot of times in church that we're going to just warm our hands and our hearts over the truth of God's Word. His truth is infallible. It is forever settled. And I'm eternally thankful for what the Word of God does in our lives. I want us to pray today and ask God to just let this Word find a resting place in our home. Let it find a resting place in our heart and in our mind. And share the truths of this Word with others as you have the opportunity. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful privilege that you have given us again to be able to share your word. It's not an opportunity uh, that I take for granted, but I take very seriously and soberly, and I ask you tonight to anoint us to, uh, to stand true and to be the church in this day that the world can see with their eyes and experience as they behold us. I pray today, Lord, the spirit of hope will rise in the hearts of unbelievers when they see us being faithfully committed to the truth of your word, keep your hand on us and strengthen us in Jesus' name. This coming weekend, we're going to have the opportunity once again to have Brother and Sister Doug Smith with us. And so I want you to pray and ask the Lord to touch the upcoming service and let the word of God that's going to be shared with us reach into the heart and the homes and the lives of people. I believe that God is going to use Brother and Sister Smith to minister in a very significant way. So let's prayerfully consider our upcoming service and be prepared in our heart for the Word of God. May God bless you. Sister Boyd and I love you. And we look forward to seeing you again soon.